0: We've been talking about, uh, Pastor Jimmy's been going through a series uh, called Friends. And we're doing that from now until March 27th to highlight different things Scripture says about friendships. I was talking to a lady this week about friends, and and she said, Well, Barry, you know what friends are, right? And I said, What are friends? And she said, Friends are God's apology for your family. That's what friends are, okay? Friends are put in your life to apologize for for your family. Uh, I, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was born in a, in a small town uh, of about 3,000 people. It's, it's called Camden, Tennessee. And Camden, uh, to tell you how small it was, we used to travel an hour and 10 minutes just to eat at McDonald's. Um, and, and Camden's that place where when you're driving the direction, say, turn off the dirt road, well, when you get there, you're halfway there okay because it's way back and it's really small and in second grade I moved from Camden to a huge town called Waverly now Camden had 3000 Waverly has 3500 okay and so it was a lot bigger okay you could actually get a hamburger there that that your grandma didn't cook in Waverly okay and so we moved over to to Waverly and we did this in the middle of the school year and when I was in second grade and so I, I went into the school, and I walked in, and you can see how I looked. I thought I was all cool and everything. And, and I, I remember walking into the classroom, and there was just board. There was a board that the teacher had put up, and it had everyone's picture on the board. Okay, obviously it didn't have mine yet, but mine was to come, I'm sure. But it was everyone's picture. And all the guys grabbed me. It was like this thing. They grabbed me, and they walked me over, and they said, Hey, what do you think about that girl? And they pointed and I said, well, "Which one? Which one were we talking about?" I looked real close, and they said, "What do you think about that girl?" And I said, "I don't know." They said, "She's really pretty, isn't she?" And I looked at her, and I said, "Yeah, she's 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 pretty good looking. Yeah, for a second grader. Yeah, she's pretty good looking." I looked again, and they said, "Well, listen, her name is Haley Jordan." And I said, "Haley Jordan is a cutie." And I decided that I liked Haley Jordan, and so I I, uh, I I would try to sit by Haley, and I would be friends with Haley, and all this kind of stuff. Well, um, eventually Haley and I we got to be really, we got to be really good friends in second grade, and and I remember we have we got our yearbooks, and what you do is is you you have all the kids sign your yearbooks. I'm sure you guys remember that you have all the kids sign your yearbooks, and so everybody was signing my yearbook. And I wanted Haley to sign my yearbook. So what you would do back then is you would put a page, reserved for, and you would save the whole page, man. I mean, and so that's what I did. I, so that's what I did. I reserved, thank for one of y'all who found that funny. I, I, would, I would reserve the whole page. And so I put reserved for Haley. And it was the back cover, the hard copy. I knew it couldn't be ripped out, man. It was on the back cover. And so I said, here, Haley, sign my yearbook. And so she goes, Okay. And so, and so she started writing. She was left handed. She started writing, and I remember she was left handed. She was writing, writing and writing and writing. And she signed the airbag. At the very bottom, she put something. She put, Friends Forever. And I was like, All right. And I was like, Friends Forever. And then I went to look, everybody, did she write this on y'all's? Friends forever. And they are like, no, she didn't write it on ours. I said, well, she wrote it on mine. Okay? So back off. And so we, we were friends, and we got to be really friends. It was very important to me back then. I remember friends forever. It had a, it had a weight to it for me. And the funny thing is, is that we were friends. We were friends from second grade and, and third grade and fourth grade. And uh, something really weird, though, in, in the fourth grade year, something odd happened. In the fourth grade year, uh, my brother comes home and he says, "Um, I've got a new girlfriend. I said, really? Who's your new girlfriend? He said, Kelly Jordan. I said, Kelly Jordan. That's not Haley Jordan's sister, is it? He said, as a matter of fact, it is. And I said, well, have you seen Haley? She's a cutie. He said, yeah, but she's not as pretty as Kelly. I said, oh, I think she is. And we got into an argument about that. But what happened is, is you know those little 7th and 8th grade romances that traditionally don't, don't last? Well, it lasted for one year and two years and three and five and seven and ten and fifteen. My brother married Haley's sister. He married her sister. So Haley and I are still friends today. And Wendy's friends with her, we're still friends Forever. I remember Haley was so, she's so sweet. She's still the same exact way today. She's so nice. She's, she, she loves God and she loves people and she lets that exude from her. But we were friends and we still are to this day. Important things for us, y'all. Our friendships are very important to us. The people that we choose to associate with are very important to us. And I, wanted, I want to point out something that God says in Scripture. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 15, verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9 says this. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then this is an important part. Greater love has no one than this, that He lay down His life for His friends. You are my friends if you do do what I command I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. There's an interesting concept in this scripture and he starts out telling them that, I want you to listen to something. I want you to know that I no longer call you these servants, but I call you friends. And then he goes and says this. He says, I want you to understand something. If, if, if someone is a true friend, if someone, you, the, the biggest thing you can do for, for a true friend is to lay down your life. Now, we know that Jesus did that literally. But Jesus is saying, I want you to understand the concept here. I want you to get exactly what I'm telling you. Before I go be with the Father, I want you to get this. No person, no person can do a greater thing than to lay down his life for a friend. I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm not calling you lesser than. I'm telling you right now, you are my friend. And it's the reason why I'm about to do what I'm going to do. Understand that concept grasp that concept I don't think we can really fully grasp that ourselves but we have to grasp the importance of Jesus giving up something for someone else a lot of the teenagers I minister to they have this new thing just like we did back back in in my yearbook days and when I was in second grade is they have a thing they call them best friends forever they want to be their BFF last week we saw a video with Miss Billy did a great job uh, and, and she was trying to invite her BFF to friend day She was trying to do that. Her best friend forever. And so I wondered what exactly the scriptures had to say about best friends, about true friendship, about things that. What did Jesus think about this? And so that's when I ran across John chapter 15 and I was like, wow, he really thought it was really important. And so today I want to share with you three, three ways, three ways you can be a true best friend forever. Truly. The first way is this. In order to be a true BFF, a true best friend forever to someone, you have to jump the hurdle. You have to jump the hurdle. Now, you may ask, what are you talking about, jump the hurdle? Well, I tell you, all of us in our lives, you guys, we all have things in our lives that we know are holding us back from being close to other people and being close to God. We have those things. I don't know what it is for you. I have my hurdles. You have your hurdles, but those hurdles are things that basically it's almost like we carry them around, and if I can do this without ripping up stuff. it's almost like we carry them around. This is funny, isn't it? Jeez, Louise. It's almost like we carry these hurdles around everywhere we go. And what ends up happening is, is that we have past experiences. maybe that's a hurdle. And what we do is, is we swing around and we swing our hurdle around and we hit people with that. People that we want to be close to, we hit people with our hurdles. We hit those people. I don't know what your hurdle is. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's self-doubt. I don't know what your hurdle is. But we all have hurdles that we need to jump and get past before we can truly be someone's best friend before we can truly get to the point where we're willing to lay down our lives for them, we have to do some work within ourselves. Maybe it's a past sin. Maybe it's a past mess-up that you have. Maybe it's something that you've done before, but it didn't quite work out. They're hurdles that we carry around. They're hurdles. Maybe it's a short fuse for some of you. They're hurdles. It's an amazing thing Jesus gave a great example of someone in Scripture who had a hurdle. And he gave a great example for how to get over the hurdle. We see Peter tell Jesus very specifically, I will never deny you. You see, Peter's hurdle was pride. And it was huge. He wanted to be front and center, center stage, right there, first in line, He's going to defend Jesus. He's going to do what he needs to do. He's going to do it. He's going to be the man, is what he basically said. And what happened was, was that time came for him to be the man, and he failed. He had a huge pride problem, but he couldn't deliver the goods. He had a hurdle to get over. And we see an example of him getting over the hurdle on a beach, After Jesus was resurrected, he was standing there and Jesus began to speak to him. And we watch specifically how Jesus helped him over his hurdle. It's amazing to me. I've learned that most people who have a hurdle, most of them, they don't want to get over the hurdle because it's too hard. It's hard to change. It's hard to get over that hurdle. So what we do is is we find someone with the same hurdle and we just sort of stay there. If someone else doesn't like something in particular, we find someone who agrees with us on that and then we both just sort of sit there together. And neither one of us change and neither one of us do better. We look for people with our hurdle. So that we don't have to identify and address it and move past it. I'm going to tell you something. If you can find someone who loves you enough to identify your hurdle and will tell you about it, you need to keep them around for a long time. If they love you enough to say, This is what I see and this is what I think you need to change, you need to keep those people around. They are your true friends. We all have hurdles to pass. I tell you, Jesus' concept of, of dying to yourself comes out in this, jumping the hurdle. Because it truly takes you to put all those things, your past, various things that have happened, all kinds of stuff behind you, to die to that, to let go of that. It takes you to do that before you can truly be a true friend of someone else. The second thing is this. Not only do we have to jump the hurdle, but we also have to live the commitment. We have to live the commitment. I want to tell you, a lot of people here probably have come down front to this this altar. Uh, A lot of you have a great history here. But a lot of us have come down to this altar and we have made confessions of, of faith in Christ. And what's happened is, is we've made these confessions and then maybe you came up here all the way if we lifted up that, that window, we came up there and you were baptized there. And you came out and over the next week, weeks or months, things sort of got back to normal maybe. I'm not sure what happens between this altar and, and, and the baptistry and those pews but there's something that happens that sort of changes us a little bit there's something that happens a lot of us a lot of us what we do is is we make a commitment to christ we ask jesus to be our savior we identify jesus as lord and then we stay right there and do nothing I heard some, somebody once say this. Someone said, you know, the saddest thing in the world is a 75-year-old baby Christian. It's sad. We don't change. Why not? Because we don't want to. We don't want to. There's a show that used to be on TV. It's called To Tell the Truth. To Tell the Truth. And the, the, the object of the show is, is they, have, they have four famous people and then they have three people. One who was the real person And they had this outlandish story. And then two people, they were liars. They were the people that weren't telling the truth. And so the the famous people would ask them questions to try to figure out which one was telling the truth. And in the very end, in the very end, they would say this. They would say, okay, will so-and-so stand up? And then they would all sort of fake it. And then one person would stand up and everyone would clap. And we would see which famous person got it right. I wonder if, I wonder if we played to tell the truth here. I wonder which person would stand up. Which one of you and me would be able to stand up and say, it's me. I'm living that commitment. I'm allowing God to change me. It's me. It's me. Sometimes you hear this in in church circles, is that, well, I got my fire insurance. I got my fire insurance. Came down to the altar and got my fire insurance. Uh, What does that mean? Well, it means that you said, I got my fire insurance, so I ain't going to hell. That's what basically, that's what basically it means. Got my fire insurance. Let's read Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 says this. It says, it's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one of of them. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now that sounds pretty harsh. Is Jesus saying, listen, you're not hot and you're not cold and you make me want to puke. That's what he's saying. You make me sick because you're not hot or cold. And you would think you would think that he was talking to a bunch of pagans, but he wasn't. He was talking to a church, a church of people that were that had all the things that they needed, a church that were equipped to do what they needed to do. He was talking to people that proclaimed Christ. To understand the scripture better, you have to understand that in Laodicea, they had a water problem. This way, they could have water piped in and it was cold. This way, there were hot springs and they could have it piped in and it was hot. The only problem was was that it was so far away that by the time the water got there, it was lukewarm. It was lukewarm. One day, One day I was outside and I was mowing the yard and and there was there was a drink that I thought was cold that someone had put in the refrigerator. And I walked inside and I saw it and I was like, oh, it's gonna taste so good. I'm so hot. And I went and someone apparently had just put it in there because I drank it and I literally (laughs) spit it out of my mouth. Why? Because it tasted terrible. Tasted terrible. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I see your deeds. I know you claim to know me, but I see your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. So guess what? You make me sick. You make me sick. Jesus is really saying this. There's no such thing as fire insurance. There's no such thing as fire insurance. I found the problem with most, pe- most people who claim Christ. The problem that they have is this. They, they want Jesus to be their Savior. But they don't want Jesus to be their Lord. See, we want Savior Jesus. We want Jesus who who saves us from our sins and saves us from the. We want Savior Jesus, and Jesus is Savior. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. Jesus is more worried about being your Lord. For him, the Savior part's a no brainer. You commit to Him, of course He'll save you. But He's more worried about being your Lord. He wants to be. You know what Lord means? It means boss. He wants to be your boss. I'm going to tell you something. If Jimmy comes into me and says, I I appreciate this and this about you, but you need to change that, guess what I'm going to say? Yes, sir, I'll do that. Why? He's my boss. He directs me, he leads me. That's the same thing Jesus wants to do with you. He wants to be your boss. He doesn't just want to be your Savior, he wants to be your boss. He wants to be your Lord. And in order for us to affect people the way we need to, in order for us to be the church that God's called us to be, and I'm not talking about us as the whole church, I'm talking about Palmetto Baptist. In order for us to do that, we have got to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life. And I'm not talking about coming down front and telling someone you believe in Christ. I'm talking about letting him be Lord. Don't forget, don't forget, Even the demons believed and knew who Jesus was. And they shivered and were scared. God is into lordship. What does lordship look like? It looks like you changing your life. It looks like you acting differently than the people out there. It looks like you standing up and telling the truth and being the truth for your friends. It looks like you... Not being argumentative all the time. It looks like you making better decisions as it relates to your husband or wife. It looks like you representing Christ and treating people the way Christ treated people. And when you fail, going back and having a do-over. And repenting and moving on. The problem with a lot of us is, y'all, is this. We want Jesus as Savior, but we don't want Jesus as Lord. Because that would mean that our finances would get involved. That would mean that the things we have would get involved. That would mean that the people we hang around with would get involved. That would mean that the things we say would get involved. You see, if Jesus is Lord and He's controlling us and we're dying to self, like He says in John 15, things would have to change. You would have to change. I would have to change. I would love to see how great this church could be if all of our members truly allowed Jesus to be Lord. I would love to see it. I would love to see it. I'll bet you there will be things that would fade away and would no longer matter when we let Jesus be Lord. I bet there are issues that we're dealing with that would fade away if Jesus was Lord. I bet there are things that we find very important now that would fade in the light that Jesus would be shining through us. I bet we would put first things first and not think of ourselves, but think of the people that this morning are sitting at home or going out and doing different things and literally, literally do not have an example for who Christ is. Most people I know that are not saved, they want to see Jesus in your life. That's what they want. In order to be a true friend of someone, you have to jump the hurdle. And secondly, you have to live the commitment that you made. I didn't make it for you. Jesus didn't grab you by the ear and drag you down here. You made the commitment. And all Jesus is doing is saying, live it out. The third thing is this. Overflow. There's a concept in Scripture That when we have jumped the hurdle and when we are living the commitment that things naturally seem to happen in our lives. Luke says it this way. He says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For out of the mouth speaks, the heart is full of. Whatever the mouth speaks, the heart is full of. If you're speaking great about people, what your heart's full of. If you're slandering people, it's what your heart's full of. If you're gossiping, it's what your heart's full of. I didn't say it, man. Jesus said it. It's them. He said it. It's what your heart's full of. There's a, there's a concept of overflow. You can find it in Proverbs. So Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your what? Guard your heart. And I love what it says, because it is the wellspring of life. It is the wellspring of life. It is a flowing thing. That whatever is inside of you will flow out onto other people around you. It will flow out of other people around you. Jesus is asking us to overflow onto other people. And this is the thing. You're going to overflow whether you want to or not. The question would be, what Are you overflowing onto other people? What are you overflowing onto other people? Jesus is asking us to jump the hurdle. He's asking us to live out the commitment that we made. And through those two things, He is wanting us to overflow onto other people's lives. But it all starts with us. Because I want to tell you, this does not come natural for us. What comes natural for us is to think about us first and others second. What comes natural for us is to do the same thing that we've done for years and years and years. Because that's what I've always done for years and years and years. What's natural for us in our own lives is to do the same routine that we've done over and over and over again. And Jesus is asking you to lay your life in His hands to die to yourself like He did in John 15. To die to yourself. Because no greater love will you find. No greater love will you find than someone who is willing to die for a friend. Every one of you know people. Who need Christ in their life. Maybe it's a grandson. Granddaughter. Daughter. Son. Friend. Neighbor. Coworker. We all know those people. Jesus is asking to use you. To overflow onto them. But he's saying. I need to do a little bit of work with you first. We need to stop the flow here, recharge, and do a little bit of work here. Let's jump this hurdle. Let's jump this little nagging thing that's been in your life. Let's get that out of the way. And then, and then, you live out this commitment. And when you do that, it'll be natural. It'll be natural for you to do. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for you. God, we're thankful for, God, just the, uh, I don't know, God, just, just how great you are to us. And how, how amazing. Uh, how amazingly intricate that you work out every little detail in our lives and how, how, how you care so much about us that you want us to do certain things and you, you made us in a certain way and to be a certain way and you continue to call us back to that, Lord. God, I ask you to call us back to it now. Call us back to it now, Lord. Let us live this commitment that you gave that we made to you and the the vision that you gave us. God, let us live that out today. And Lord, let us overflow those things that are within our hearts, that are good things. But God, we have to jump the hurdle and live the commitment, and then we overflow. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.